Hi, Martina, Nicole, hi, Shannon. <laughs> Hello. Nicole, how is your process today? I didn't have one. Uh, okay, maybe it was an old message that I saw. <laughs> Janet, can you explain how you and Naomi are together? I can try. Um, so, uh, how we are or how we got together? We, we are together because we're friends. <laughs> we're in the same little square. Yeah, we're friends. She's here. <laughs> okay. But I don't know. Do you want the story? Do you, I think it's your story. Yeah. You come up. We, okay. Well, sorry. Yes, it's story time. Story time. So I, I, I wanted to go to the ETB and I've never been to the US before and I wanted to stay more and I like Janet and so the deal was quickly made. <laughs> deal <laughs> Sealed. <laughs> delivered. But, but this is Texas or something, right? Yes. How can you consider that part of the USA? Yeah, we were our own country. You're correct. The Lone Star State. Mm -hmm. okay. well, it's really fun here because all the houses are separate and they have little front porches and, I, and that's like in the movies and there's this, this road in front of it, like the little path thing where the postman sidewalk. walk. With the sidewalk. <laughs> and I've never seen that in real life, so I'm enjoying it. <laughs> just, in the, just in the movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mia. Hi, I want to invite Naomi to come visit me next. Jennifer's coming on Wednesday, and Texas isn't too far from Colorado. So that is my offer. <laughs> Thank you. I'm having her watch my kids for my lab, so you can get her in November. <laughs> <laughs> But if I can get her a job here, then she stays longer. So if you can find work for her with you, that might sweeten the deal. I see we've got some good negotiations going on. I have a phone number if you want to contact me. <laughs> she goes with the money. So that when Clinton comes in the spring, right, Clinton? Then she can go to labs. We're going to get her to labs in the spring. We're starting a lab tomorrow night over here in Portugal. We just finished a five-day expand the box training. It was so amazing to see people that I'd never seen before, except on the study group, show up in person in the training room. So Dora was there, and Pontus was there, and we had people who <clears throat> regularly that we saw them here in the screen that were just real persons and went through really big stuff. They had a great, great lab. I don't know if you can see it. 
I'm still in the training room, so the whole place is covered with all these maps on the walls. <laughs> Oops. Push the wrong button here. It's still there, yeah. Yeah, so we were great. Good. Anything else reporting in from anybody else right now from somewhere else? Jennifer, I see you. Michelle, Kalista, Ingrid's there. Ingrid, go ahead. Hello, Martina. I want just to share um, how grateful I am. I did Fear Club and Rage Club. And last week I had really the outcome of that. I had a difficult situation at work with, uh, with my uh, president. And, uh, and, and it, it, the, the end of the phone call was really a mess. And then I, th I thought, okay, I use my fear and I will have feedback. And I asked a friend, a neutral person and a so-called enemy to give me feedback on this, and they all knew also the other person. And this was so amazing. It was, uh, I felt really, I discovered new things from my friend and from the enemy, from the neutral person, not as much. But, and uh, it was really, um, I thought it, it, could, it even could, uh, it did not cost, so much energy, it simply used the fear, it simply used the anger. And it was, I thought, oh, really, it's working. <laughs> and so I'm really happy to share that. <clears throat> Thank you very much, wow. <laughs> There's a whole- I have something. Good, Kay, nice to hear from you. Yeah, I have a new human in my world. My daughter had a baby yesterday. Wow. Welcome. Human. He doesn't have a name human. yet. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Wow. Yeah. Were, were you there participating in some way or? Okay, were you were you there participating in some way? Oh, sorry, you cut out. Um, no, I'm in quarantine. I'm up here, but uh, I have one more day. So I, today, hopefully, or tomorrow, today or tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is amazing. I mean, here we are, 25 human beings or more, sharing about our lives and I haven't heard one victim story yet. And here we are about to read section 4B of the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love page 78 called Playing the Victim. So I think then for all of us, this will be a purely theoretical conversation then. So. <laughs> Doris, are you saying something? Yes. 
Go ahead. I'd like to share something because when I bought your book many years ago, I I uh, marked this victim story all in yellow, all in yellow, and and from then on, because I said, "Wow, he is so right. He <clears throat> he's definitely right." And I started with one thing, just trying this one thing to change, and it's incredible how how long that work does. <clears throat> I'm right now, I'm on the way to Marina and Ralph Decken, which I will see today if God wants, because yesterday I didn't got there. So yesterday at night I had to give up because they had road stores, uh, roadblocks all over uh, Costa Rica. And then I was so frustrated. And this morning I did, I thought, okay, today is a time to do some uh, rage work and anger. So three minutes and three minutes. And it was like, boy, I felt so much frustration coming out. Um, and after that, I was laughing quite a lot with some messages. So I also can confirm it's really working great. And I miss you in the lab. Oh, boy, that. All right, thank you. So I have one too. Okay. I was excited. I'm, I'm missing the lab and I'm, I'm missing the lab. Uh, I, I had uh, not, not been able to get, get, find a way to go to Portugal. So I signed up for the one in Seattle and because of their, their COVID, they cut. And so my, my registration got postponed until uh, what January or February when they do this next. So I had opportunity for victim story. Mm. And instead, I, I have the list uh, that uh, Aunt Chloe had, had given to another person. And she said, write that on the wall. And so I'm writing that on the wall and I'm doing the things that I can do here in order to be ready. Yeah, super. Anything from the Mark Sunday department? Sunday. I heard you a couple of weeks ago say hitting bottom resoundly. I think that's my current process. I have plenty of stories coming up. Mm. In the handbook, it says when you hit bottom, keep digging deeper. I'm succeeding in that department. Okay. <laughs> uh, currently, what I'm doing is listening, going, I started back at uh, week one and I'm listening through because I missed many of the early. Mm recordings so yeah. that's one process i'm doing is listening to those so i'm on week eight plus all of the sparks great what food you're having a feast i am all right i'm going to start reading here we go playing the victim recognizing 
that what you have is what you want opens a gateway to responsibility. And that's a, a kind of a koan because most of us have been trained in a kind of positive thinking thing where um, if we want some, some goal, then we focus on the goal and we're trying to achieve our goal and change and evolve and, and in a way try to actually ignore what we have because we think that what we have is wrong or not good enough or somehow insufficient. And this is saying that if you, if you start with really owning or taking, taking stock of what you have in that, with the recognition that this is actually what some parts of you want, then you're, you're entering this place called responsibility. And it's, it keeps going. Compare that to living in the fantasy that you are a victim of the circumstances. Which piece of theater would give you more power is the question. You know, thinking that this radical responsible theater, that what you have is actually what you somehow want, regardless of what it is, or this theater piece of living in this fantasy world that you're a victim of the circumstances. So which one is it? So playing victim of the circumstances or taking responsibility for creating yourself into those circumstances, which one gives you more power? It is curious that we would ever think that we would do something we don't want to do. Or the reverse, that we are not doing something we really do want to do. Reality is that we only ever do just exactly what we want to do. If you would know what you want, if you want to know what you want, look at what you have. What you have is what you want, period. It's a real alchemical or neutral way to assess the situation. So I just want to go back there. I'm not sure when we'll distinguish this, but this word we or I, we were using that a lot in the expand the box training here, which is which I is speaking, which I is doing the wanting. And so which I is causing the circumstances to show up in your life the way that they are right now. And which I do you think that you are? And those might not be the same thing. The I that you think that you are might not be the one who's making your choices to cause what's happening. So I'll keep reading. We continually create the illusion for ourselves of having no choice by failing to ask the question, who chooses to have no choice? We train ourselves to ask no real questions, to not ask at all. Disallowing our awesome power to ask questions ensures that we will not discover who operates the levers behind the curtain. This, of course, is a Wizard of Oz metaphor, which I sadly learned when I went to Europe, what people did not know the, the story about the Wizard of Oz. So every Wizard of Oz metaphor I used 
or joke that I made, it was completely dead in this space. So I had to obliterate those, that whole thought form of cool and powerful Wizard of Oz metaphors from, from the places where I was working. So It is amazing that we would think that circumstances could dictate our actions. Circumstances are absolutely powerless. I repeat, circumstances are absolutely powerless. It is we who make up the story about what the circumstances mean to us. It is we who consciously or unconsciously choose each and every action we make or do not make. It is we who formulate the reasons or justifications or explanations for what we do. And it is we who decide to give the power for our decisions to our reasons or to keep that power for ourselves for no reason. These are really huge things. This whole bit about reasons. We've been taught to be reasonable people or reasonable, to, to give credence to reasons as if they have power and are not just glued together with is glue. There's concoctions of words glued together with is glue, logic forms held together with is glue in our mind. And then we call it logic. And I'm not, this is not promoting to be insane or crazy or illogical necessarily. It's just saying, how do you, how do you take your power back? How do you take your authority back from, for example, reasons in this case? I keep reading. We have the ability to make commitments and take responsibilities at a level that is greater than our preferences, our likes and dislikes, and our personal comfort. So we have the ability to make commitments and take responsibilities at a level that is more powerful than our preferences, likes, dislikes, and even personal comfort. It is impossible to be a victim of any person or anything we only play act being a victim to achieve an energetic or emotional payoff or benefit. For example, we justify complaining. So I'm just going to change the we to you just so it gets more clear for, or I even, but you justify, you justify complaining so that you get the payoff of a familiar and therefore known and comfortable, although agitated internal emotional state. So even when you complain, there's an agitated emotional state, but it's familiar and comfortable. You justify betraying someone's trust so as to have the payoff of taking revenge on them. If you have things arranged a certain way with people or things in your life, or things in your life, it, it is only because you have arranged them to be that way and have not arranged them to be any other way. This is really begging us to take our power back, take our authority back. This insight opens the door to a large number of rather interesting experiments to do. For example, today, now, you can go change something either externally or internally that has been making you feel like a victim. Notice that in de-victimizing yourself, which in parentheses is similar to deworming a cat, 
So we're talking about tapeworms or something like that. So you, you, know, you, you put a dog or a cat through this med medical uh, process of, of giving them something that causes the worms in their intestines to let go and just fly out, fall out. So you can do that to yourself about being a victim. So notice that in de-victimizing yourself, you have the option of changing external conditions or of changing the internal story that you have made about those conditions. So in either case, you can de-victimize yourself. For example, this morning, I remember this still, this morning I woke up at 5.25 so I could sit for meditation at 6 and start working on this manuscript at 7 a.m. But I live at the time in Munich, Germany, and it is winter and it snowed last night. Our duplex neighbor has this serious consideration that shoveling the snow out of our shared driveway should be an equal task and combined with a local ordinance says that residents must shovel off their sidewalk before seven o'clock in the morning. Sometimes our neighbor shovels the snow before I am even out of my pajamas and he does this for three days in a row. But by that point, I feel fear that he resents me for shirking my duty. As you could well imagine, there is a gold mine of potential victim stories in this. Previous occupants of our apartment used the opportunity in abundance, that is, of being a victim of this asshole who lived in the other apartment. He was like a German military officer or something like that. You must do your driveway before seven o'clock in the morning, like this. Sorry, that was a Russian accent. I'm not interested in continuing the tradition. That is a typo in the book. But how can I see this laptop keyboard begging for my dancing fingers and instead go out there in the freezing cold dark morning and not feel like a victim? I cannot change the neighbor's habits, nor can I change the law in the, in the village. What is at that moment? What is left for me to do is change my internal story about my morning, about what shoveling snow means to me. But what story could make it worthwhile to experience shoveling snow as exactly what I really want to do right now? What about this? I could then write about the experience in this book. Voila, I am instantly transformed into a happy man, enthusiastically shoveling, shoveling snow out of the driveway. The neighbor even came out to see what all the, happily shoveling, all the happy shoveling was about. So I was so enthusiastically shoving, he came out just to celebrate <laughs> that, the, that the driveway was getting shoveled. The next section, avoiding possibilities. So this stuff is huge. Avoiding possibilities is one of the main, when you can discover the ways you avoid possibility, you find new ways to create possibilities. So this is a fantastic section about just creating possibility. Why is it? that we think we do not have enough time when we have all the time there is. We have all the time that anyone else has and we are choosing every moment what to do with that time. If we choose to do anything, it is only because we have made time to do that thing. 
If we choose ever to not do something, we simply do not make the time to do that thing. The, the, the point to get here is that we are time makers. You are a time maker. Yet, you try to blame other people or circumstances for choosing what you make time for. This is truly amazing. So this little thing, it, it slides by. But if you ever do a thing, it is because you made the time to do that thing. Nobody else can make the time for you to do the thing. It's so, it's so powerful to get this internal power of, of being a time maker. Because then if, yeah, if you, if you ever don't want to do something, it's simply because you didn't make the time to do it. And you can make time to do whatever you want. In any case, many of us hand over our lives to some little voice from our mind that says, for example, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I have, to have, I have to have one of those, whatever it is. Or, like we're, we're handing over our lives to these voices. I can't do that. I deserve a break today. And then we choose to go unconscious, thinking that things should be some way other than the way that they are. It is amazing that we do not simply enjoy things as they are or reinvent our experience of them if we want. So while I'm reading this, try to also reflect back on a relationship. This is not, I'm not using uh, examples here in terms of being related to another human being or working out daily life habits or daily life conversations or patterns or negotiating uh, intimacy and then feeling like a victim of something. So every single one of these applies directly to that. We typically glance over the dry, barren landscape of our life. Lonely, um, being ignored, being left out, being excluded. We look at this dry, barren landscape of our life, looking for minimalized, mediocre opportunities as, as a survival strategy. You know, we give ourselves a, a minimum kind of food. Um, rather than realizing that we ourselves hold up the veil that makes the surroundings look dry and barren. So the veil is, it says the painting on it. Maybe you've seen this like a scarf. Sometimes you, you have a thin scarf that has a pattern on it. If you look at it towards a dark surface, it looks uh, completely solid. But if you hold the veil up to the light, you can see right through the veil. So the veil in this case is our story world about being a victim of the circumstances. So, okay. We refuse, we refuse to bathe in the ocean of possibilities spreading out in every direction in every moment. We make the wealth of options that are sitting at our feet invisible and inaccessible rather than creating noble, lively, dynamic, juicy, dignified, challenging opportunities for ourselves and others out of available materials, or better yet, out of nothing, a material which is readily at hand, anytime, anywhere, for no cost, if you have the space for it. We go around like crippled elephants at a fashion show thinking there is no opportunity to be found 
and that nobody loves us besides. So this contrast between holding up a veil, a dry, barren landscape veil, and uh, reorienting the view to having these juicy opportunities that spread out in every direction at every moment. The, it's, it's a huge contrast of a viewpoint. And have you ever, how many of you ever been at, sort of at this virtual line between these two things so that you could almost see both of them at the same time? Did you ever have that experience where you had, it was all dry, yeah, and then at the same time you could see, yeah, isn't that a wild place? It's just so, it's just such a, I don't know, eye-opening kind of space to be in. It's, I, I like that kind of space because, uh, because both stories are not true. You know, both stories are, are not true. They don't have the power of truth behind them. They are possibilities. So yes, it can be this dry desert. Yes, it could be this abundant, juicy thing. The thing that's true has no meaning at all to it. It has a meaninglessness to it. And so in that moment when you're on that line, you're between these two views. And then, and then it's like, it's this uh, capacity to choose. I mean, and then, and then let's say you choose one. If you choose, for example, the dry one, Nobody likes me. There's nothing, there's nothing is possible. I'm left out. I'm alone. I don't get it. If you choose that, then this mind, the mind does this click thing. It clicks into the story world as if it's really real, even though just a moment before you had both views and you knew that both views were real. So, and then, so then you click into this one and you're kind of lost for a, an hour or a day or a couple of days in this whole story world one way or the other. It is amazing that we have made ourselves afraid of the power of insanity. Without knowing it, one of our first considerations in making any decision is whether or not we will appear to be sane. If the gap between our possible behavior and the appearance of sanity is too great, <clears throat> we will not do it. If the gap between the behavior of someone else and what is typically recognized as sane behavior is too great, we will call the police. By rejecting anything that even appears to be insane, we simultaneously reject one of our greatest powers, the power of incongruity, the power to be incongruous. I think I'll speak about it later, but there, there's a kind of learning that we did, that we were able to do before we went to school which is called expansive learning. And the kind of learning that we learn to do at school is called defensive learning. So what defensive learning means is that we learn about things we already know about. So for example, first we learn the alphabet first, and then we can start trying to write the alphabet and we don't even know what it is, but then we start figuring out that there's words made out of the letters in the alphabet. So we add that in and then we work, you can make sentences and then paragraphs and then articles and pages and books and poetry and 
applications for jobs and like all these all these you can do with writing but it all it all fits in this one knowledge continent and this is called defensive learning so we're blocking against anything that doesn't fit somewhere into the continent of knowledge that we already have so that in a way that's what i'm talking about uh, with being appearing to be insane and the power of incongruity because before we went to school, we were using expansive learning, which means here's what we already know about, but we also know about this thing over here. And this whole domain <clears throat> doesn't connect to the first domain in any, any kind of way we can figure out, at least as a child. So, um, you, you know, so for example, dogs, and cats don't really connect together. There's dogs and then there's cats. And as you grow up, you go, yeah, well, these are animals or they're mammals, or they, they have a level of intelligence enough that they can be amazed at human neurosis enough to live around with us. And, so, and we put it, you know, we put it together. But as children, there's no, there's no connection really between or string beans and painting or something like that. Like, but, but, but then we grab the string beans and dip them into the paint and you can actually paint using a handful of string beans and it comes out to an amazing paintbrush. So there is a connection. So this power of incongruity, allowing incongruousness to exist in our world without immediately banishing it to the, the category of being insane opens a lot more possibilities for us. I keep reading, insanity is where nonlinear possibilities and orthogonal moves come from. Meaning that if you stand on this edge of what seems sane or and, and ordinary, you, when you, if you step over that edge, if you are to step over that edge, there's a part of you that's gonna say this is insane. This is crazy. People will think I'm crazy. I will think myself is crazy. And at the same time, I am sure that you have memories of times where you have taken the risk of saying, doing, being something that was, that seemed at first crazy. And then it turned out to be so beneficial or even, even uh, genius, a kind of genius came out of first doing something that almost everybody else thinks is insane. And so insanity is where nonlinear possibilities and orthogonal moves often come from. Relationship is ongoing nonlinear creation. That's the next sentence here. Meaning that if you, you have this choice, you know, we're trying to relate to other human beings who are this have this amazing potential and all those also this amazing capacity for neurotic behavior and and to try to figure out the right way to relate and then have a rule book or a set of behaviors that everybody agrees is the right way to relate or the right way to communicate or the right way to interact and and what you end up with that i can sure i'm sure you can imagine is this it would be so distasteful or so um crazy making it would be i'm 
I don't know. Some people stick together for a long time. I'm sure you know people who have stuck together for a long time and day in and day out, they, they offer up the same sort of opportunities for each other to interact. And so this, uh, it's, and so let's see, so I can picture this, you know, every day they kind of are being together in the same way that they were the day before. And then days go by, weeks go by, years go by, and their main purpose has been to stick together, to stick it out, you know, to be together, even though it's completely predictable, even though it's, it's crazy making, even though it's, uh, it's in a way dead, and they would choose to stick it out. And I think some of you or some of us here have got to the point where we said, I'm not doing this anymore. It's like, it's almost to the point of going, I would rather go insane than keep doing this. I have got to, people have, people have got to this. Anybody had this thing? Okay. So, so this is a wild place to be. I, you know, we can really, I don't know, maybe you should write more articles about this. I think you guys are not writing enough articles about this, but mm, because this moment or this sex this part of your life this parentheses this chapter this moment where it's it's in a way you had this commitment to be together and then at somehow the rug gets pulled out from underneath that commitment and it's such a scary time because because we make the commitment in public uh like at a ceremony for example or uh, we think we have some credibility in our life or some value in our life because we're like paired up with another person in some kind of relationship and it's sustaining it. And that, that's the, the longevity of it seems to give us some kind of credibility. And when all of a sudden the, the platform that was holding it up vanishes and we're dropping into this groundless state, well, then our credibility vanishes. So how, you know, there's people who have probably looked at you as some kind of role model of a relationship that was working, and yet your heart and soul are going, you know, it's not, this is not it. You know, this is, I am, whatever you're thinking about me is not true. Anybody ever have that? Where people looked at you kind of the ideal relationship, this role model, every God, you guys have are so lucky. And in, in inside you going, you, you don't get it. You don't know what's really going on. And it's horrible. This is a horrible time because not enough people write articles about it. So would you guys write some articles about this and put it out there of really kind of going into this shift time? Because what where I'm trying to go with this is that it can always be this shift time. In fact, any time you think it is not the shift time, you are in a delusion. This is where I'm going with this. Anytime you think you're standing on something, it's a kind of self-delusion. There's a, you're in a fantasy world. It's a, it's a, uh, it, it took me many years to figure this out. I mean, for, for me, for the first 40, 39, 40 years of my life, 
I, I, I lived in this fantasy world that I was a, a good person, you know, a good boy or a good, a good man, a good husband, a good father, you know, I, and it was a fantasy world. It was just this lie. And when, when the rug started to fall out from underneath that, I was, I'm a kind of a mechanic and I would, I would glue the, the rug back. I would, I would improvise rugs. I would, I would fabricate new platforms out of driftwood. I would weave carpets out of fake like dust balls that were laying around the room. I'd collect them up and make string and weave it into a carpet. Like I would, imp I would take off my shirt and I'd use it as a carpet, like everything just to have the something holding up the illusion that were that that it was real that it was hanging together and i was hanging in there and it's and then um and you know i did this for 25 years i mean i really i did it for a very long time and and if i didn't do it i would not have had enough pain to write this book but at the same time it was a very expensive way to go about uh, trying to keep up an image or keep up a position that was not grounded in reality. And so this, when you get to this, it's kind of this, some kind of a balance thing. Like if, if it's this way, if it's all balanced this way, then everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're going along, you know, and uh, people can, you can believe in me and I'll wake up in the morning and I'm happy and we can, you know, we love each other and everything's wonderful. And then there's this, there's this tipping point. And if it goes over to this other side, it's like, what was I thinking? What the heck was I thinking? It's like, how could I have fooled myself? How could I have sustained the illusion or given the false image that, um, that I was, you know, how could I have pretended to the world and to myself that this was a real and valuable thing for so long? And what I'm, what I'm really interested in is this, this balance, the thing where it's flipping over, the thing where it's not one way or the other way. It's this line, and because it gives you this double awareness of both possibilities, and to try to stay on that line, because that's what gives you choice. That's where you get power. That's where you get, that's where creation comes from, is in that moment, and you can stay in this creation moment for a really long time. You can breathe in it, you can eat breakfast in it. And like, I know, I know sometimes when I'm, when I'm on this line, I don't so much notice the breakfast, what I notice is the line. I notice the, the possibility of every bite and every word and every, every impression in all five bodies is happening right there on this line. And the, the now is very short. I think that when we get caught in the illusion of I'm in a happy relationship and whatever, or it's not working and it's all, and it's all over, I think in both of those cases, we have a, a long now. You know, when it's tilted over into it's not working, we have this whole vision of, oh my God, what am I going to do next? Am, do, am I going to be alone? Like who, you know, I'm, I'm old, I'm... Um, you know, I'm already used up. I'm already, I have too much wisdom to go be stupid again and fall in love again. You know, we're over here in this other, and so there's, 
we have a huge, a big now. It's really big now. So when the only place you have a small now is really on this line when it's teetering back and forth. And it, it's really uncomfortable because one cannot make up uh, such big stories about what's happening right now because you don't know because it can sh it can shift in any moment so your partner if your partner is can it can be with you in this kind of now and you can be in this now then you can make offers back and forth to each other moment to moment in your day that kind of change everything they can they can so so that you like if i'm at that tipping point i can't depend on yes tonight i know what's going to happen like right now tonight i don't know what's going to happen it, 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 and so my now isn't even big enough to include what's going to happen tonight. You know, we, we've been invited to go over to somebody's house here in Sintra in, in near Lisbon in Portugal, but I don't know if they accepted the invitation or how the car is working out or if they meant that they're going to feed us something or they're not going to feed us something or if the kid's going to freak out because whatever. So it's really to stay on the line there's a lot more possibility for nonlinear creation. There's a lot less possibility for the illusion of stability. And, and, and we've been trained to long for or fantasize about, you know, the guy who rides up on the white horse and then, and takes us up on the white horse and takes us off into a future. And then there's this stability of this fantasy world of this wonderfulness. So that's what we've been trained to think about. And, and in terms of becoming uh, a relationship alchemist, that's a dead zone. You know, the fantasy world is a dead zone. To be a relationship alchemist only happens now. It only happens on that edge. And to stay on the edge, there's aliveness and there's the, you can breathe each moment. And the way you breathe depends on how this goes. You know, we were just in the training space for five days. And for example, and Chloe was often sitting next to me and she'd be talking and then I would breathe a certain way. I would just go, and then she would look over because I, she knew I was gonna say something before I knew it, just by the way I was breathing. And so I think you know what I'm talking about is there's this aliveness in even the breath where, where the possibility that what's going to open next is occurring right there in the moment. And if you were in, if you were tilted one way or the other, like everything's wonderful or everything's horrible, or, you know, I have a big long future of happiness and love and over here is it's all broken, I'm lost, I'm wounded and it's over. Either one of those things is a lie, but we often get stuck in one of those things. And it's in this, this balance point where the aliveness is, but it's no, we haven't been trained for it. So there's all these considerations we're talking about in this chapter and the other chapters is about that moment, that about being there. Speaking of moments, I just want to do a logistical announcement, which is that um, in 45 minutes, I'm going to need to stop and turn off. So we will actually stop it in 45 minutes from now, and we won't have that extra half hour sort of extra session at the end today. So I just wanted people to know that. So if you're gonna have questions, so I'm gonna stop for a second here. Any, any questions, comments, stories, what's, what's alive in you right now about all this?
and you can speak even before you know what you're going to say in terms of having having it together about what you're going to say you can speak from this edge i have something coming up for me go ahead um i i'm of course i'm i always i notice i tend to see other sides of things, but the other side of something that just maybe worth mentioning, because it's up for me in my life, is that there can also be an attachment to the part that sort of doesn't want to know, that says, I want to remain in the unknown. I want to remain in the groundlessness. And so the mind may see something that's actually very clear and concrete, but there's a mistrust of the mind maybe creating a concept or making someone bad. And so we don't necessarily see signs that have been given to us by reality or messages in ourselves that are there to protect us from harmful people who may be sociopaths if you believe that people are such, such like that. So I'm, um, there's also the side of like really, really knowing something and then that's kind of concrete if you could put it that way or it's a knowing that's there very much out of intelligence that's like i get what this is and i don't know I, I don't know and it's not it's not a neurosis actually it's our wisdom but we're so used to maybe questioning our conceptual mind that we don't we miss it or i don't know i'm curious what you'd have to say about that uh what i want to say is thank you and keep the space open for other other comments coming in. So, but thank you for sharing that. Thank you. We we'd like an example. We didn't really get what you were saying. Me? Okay. Are you thinking of something, Clay, as an example? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have an example of um, like. Um, like when i was i was recently with somebody and um i i kind of like kind of like developed like a almost like a concept about what you're talking about clinton and so i there were these feelings inside that something wasn't right and um i kept thinking oh that's just a feeling emerging it's trying to cling on and make something wrong about this so i'm just gonna let it be and i'm just gonna keep flowing and actually these these signs accumulated um of feeling something wasn't quite right in my gut kind of and then because i i was trying to be in the flow and and not not totally trust this that i'm making it bad or i'm 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 pre-deciding this person ended up stalking me ended up being a heroin addict and didn't hadn't told me um ended up, you know, sending me 150 texts a day that were just showing that just manipulation crazy and it really, really hurt me. But it really happened because I had a deep knowing about the way something was in myself that was pretty much tilted, like this isn't gonna work. And I, I, was, with, I was with trying to stay here and I missed a big inner knowing that was quite strong of like, 
you got to stay away from this person. And I've, I noticed that I've missed it before. So I guess um, that's my, that's my um, example. Yeah, thank you. It's really a perfect example of the consequences of taking responsibility. Because if, if we let the social norms and social pressures decide for us, or our reasoning, if reasons decide for us, or the habit patterns, for example, or, or advice from our parents, for example, um, then if something goes bad, it's not really our fault. But if, on the other hand, we, we uh, take responsibility and then make the experiments ourselves, then it is our fault. You know, if something comes out and we trust somebody and weren't paying attention to the signs, whereas, you know, all our friends said, don't, don't hang out with this guy. You know, nobody shouldn't be doing this. You know, your parents, if you brought this person to your parents, they would have said, forget it, something like that. But you chose to go ahead anyway. You know, then, then you are responsible. So this is the edge worker price. You pay the price. But I mean, particularly for me, if I brought someone to, if someone says, if the outside world says to me, he's no good, don't, then I even more question it. I'm like, maybe I should hang, check out, check out because I don't want to believe the box that everybody's creating around reality is too small for me. And I'm even questioning now. I mean, he's a heroin addict and he may be a sociopath, but there's still, again, like this thing with Trump, sorry to interrupt you, Clinton, but like we have this thing of like, okay, now we get rid of this person. Now we just get rid of them completely. And even that box I'm questioning, like, can you, what is it, what does it, yeah, what does it mean to be in a relationship, basically, even when someone hurts you? And how do you, because we don't, we can't just say, fuck you, Trump, and the problem doesn't go away, just you know, the energy of Trump isn't going to be solved just because we say, get out of our White House, you know? So how do you actually relate with this toxic energy? And sorry, that's a whole other topic, but sorry, I'm just, it's up for me, so. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. I'm going to read one more paragraph, and then I'd just like to hear other people, what's, what, what's alive in them about this it's kind of a nasty consideration. It's really a, it's really a nasty consideration because there's, there's so much involved. Insanity is where nonlinear possibilities and orthogonal moves come from. Orthogonal means just simply at right angles. So if you're moving in this way and all of a sudden you move this way, that's, it's a nonlinear possibility that wasn't obvious in the dimension that you're working in. If we do not have access, so relationship is ongoing nonlinear creation. If we do not have access to what seems like insanity, we cannot go nonlinear to create relationship. It's no wonder our relationships may seem dead. We straightjacket ourselves so that we appear to be sane, but our pretended civility asphyxiates the aliveness of our interactions. In each moment, 
relationship is sourced through invention in reality like we're inventing it as we go along love is invented right here by us with what we have right now life without inventing love is like finding an outdated coupon for 30 cents off a jar of mayonnaise lying faded on a dirt road that's love that's life without inventing love is this outdated coupon you don't get it you don't get to use it so I'm, so this is this is kind of really risky stuff like clay what you were talking about is risky so all this stuff is risky what other people what other who else of you are have like what's up for you about this Clinton. i'll say something clinton um first jennifer and then shannon <clears throat> so mine is like the opposite of clay i had all the red flags when i met my husband and he wasn't a heroin addict or a sociopath um a really lovely sweet guy um, but there were red flags that I was making a mistake and I shouldn't marry him and I did it anyway and yeah so I took that risk for many reasons and for so long I wanted to blame him and I was a, a victim and because I took that risk and went on the edge and made that decision it's like that is the reason I'm a responsible adult now. Like I needed to learn everything. It was never about him. It was always about me. So I had the opposite effect happen and I feel so much joy that I made that decision. Yeah. You mean joy because in, in the big picture joy, I feel joy, like selfish joy. Like I'm so glad that I, <laughs> that I went against, because it was all so perfectly set up for me to crash and dig deeper to have to take more and more responsibility. And if I didn't do that, I may be sitting on a couch eating bonbons right now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Shannon. Yeah, so I feel like <clears throat> I married the guy who checked everything off the list. His parents belonged to the country club and he was well-educated and he was the guy that looked good on paper. <clears throat> and, of, well, I'm not going to get into anything more than that, but I realized that what happened to us is we did this thing, I called it the dance of polite. Mm. It was a dance of polite and and it was so much what you described of being the model for our friends right and so we were the model for our friends but we weren't having sex anymore and we and the, and the intimacy wasn't there and and um and and you know you said something a couple calls ago about i was married for 25 years and so you said some and 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 i got to the point where I was like, that was my lesson. That was my lesson to be in that space. And then to hear you reflect that back. What was my purpose of, of saying all this? I, I observed that, that as I 
tried to introduce new concepts and tried to move the relationship into to a place that was more conscious and more communicative, communicative, he was like holding on to status quo, holding on to status quo. And I couldn't get him to release even a pinky. And, and that was it, you know? And, um, and I feel sad because I wish that I could help him see what I see, but he's on his own journey. Thank you. I'd like to share something. Maria, go ahead. Thank you. I, um, I've been going through a separation and it's been like, just for a long time, things have been in this way of like, um, bringing me so much loud medicine <laughs> that I like, I feel like in all of the situations that I just heard and Shannon's share and Jennifer's share and Clay's share, and there are likely other people on this call who have stories about, or, you know, things to share about this kind of, like where we get stuck or where we, what decision we could have made or what we want someone else to see or, and I, I just, I'm like reckoning with the resistance to the present moment so much right now that, and have been for over a year in this relationship. And um, just coming to the realization that taking radical responsibility for my choices that led to this experience gets to be exciting because all of the medicine that I need to take radical responsibility, like what Jennifer was saying, is right here in my experience, even though it feels like hell in a lot of ways. Or when I want, when I'm resisting it, it really feels like hell. <laughs> and when I'm, um, when I'm like in a prayerful way and recognizing the value of, of this experience, I feel so grateful that it's happened exactly as it has, like that I also chose a partner who raised a lot of red flags for me. And that was probably my box being like, no, 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 like this guy has X, Y, and Z problem and don't go there. And then I went there and I got delivered this like platter of really intense medicine for the past couple of years. And it's been really profound. And I wouldn't be sitting in, on this call and I wouldn't be like, looking to be an adult even if I wasn't delivered this specific palette of medicine that I'm receiving right now. So I feel like no matter what it is, like if I had been in a deeply abusive relationship for 10 years, I could still recognize that there is medicine in that and I can grow from that and choose, choose that path, which is painful and also awesome. Yeah, well, there's a way, there's a way that uh, I'm just feeling, even the people who aren't speaking, how, how much uh, valuable sharing is in that. And I would really wish to, even in the moment, Maria, so like right now you're in the middle of it and, and others of us have been in that and can reflect on it. But the, 
if, if we could write some more stuff about that and just get it online in different places, there's this website called write, write your article and it's, it gives platforms where you can post these things. It's not just uh, medium. There's a bunch of platforms that you can post this stuff and it's a way to, it's a way to invite other people into the same level of radical honesty and presence that, that you guys are engaging right now. And so, um, when you have these doorways, each article that you post is a doorway for people to connect into you and they, uh, the doorways stay open a long time. And Chloe was just mentioning that she'd had an article posted for over two years and some, some woman just called her up and said, you know, you're speaking right to me and asked for single coaching and got involved in trainings and was really part of the circle. So you know, as a edge worker, you guys are researchers and edge workers. Part of your job is to build a circle so you can provide your services for people. And it, and one of the ways to do that is to is to write articles. And you, in the, when you look in your mind for what to write an article about, you know, it, you just get these concepts. But I'm telling you, the richness of the stories that you're sharing right now, and the value of of sharing from this crux moment, from this cusp moment from from these decision points and reflecting on that i think those you know a couple page article on this kind of stuff would be really really valuable how many of you would be willing in the, in this next week or so just to write a couple page article and get it up somewhere anybody would anybody be willing to do that yeah cool yay great Thank you. Uh, Clay, hold on just one second. I just want to check other people to see see what else is cooking. Uh, I see Kay, I see uh, Naomi hand, and I'm, I can't see everybody. So good, why don't we start there? And then Clay, we'll get back to you, okay? Yeah, <clears throat> um, your quote about, I, I don't know what it was, relationship is a nonlinear creation. Yeah. Um, I've been so aware of like in the moment, like saying something like, um, yeah, I feel like something's wrong or something's just off between us and co-creating, you know, they're like, well, there is now, you know, <laughs> it's like, instead of saying, you know, out of fear, rather than saying the vulnerable thing, you know, like, I'm afraid, I don't know, whatever, you don't love me or, you know, um, but it, and, and if you follow that path down that I think there's something wrong. Well, what do you mean there's something wrong? Well, you didn't, uh, you know, look at me when you came to the breakfast table this morning. Well, God damn it, I, I was busy. You know, it's like it can get in so far off so fast. Ah, shoot, now you're frozen. picture is so professional all right while Kay's working doing something technical Naomi can you fill in you take over I wanted to share that it's been extremely wild for me in my relationship to find out that the most nonlinear thing for me to do probably was to stay in the relationship because so much of my life is about 
change and about changing the circumstances and about also it looks like so cool to walk away from something and do something else and it was excruciating to not know if I should stay or go and then to find out that staying was for me the most non-linear and powerful thing. Why? Can you say why? How did it? Yeah. I got to discover that with this thing that I was in and I had so many reasons or stories to say that it wasn't okay, I managed just to do the impossible and just change, make something out of, yeah, think there was nothing. Yeah, I created, it became completely different because I changed. And that was extremely cool. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I see your hand up, Clay, hold on. Just this thing about oftentimes it's that this moment just before the transformation is going to happen that the box and gremlin will come up with some way for you to escape and go back to the status quo or find some really good reason or some, something like that. So, so, so staying, how do you know when to get out? It's like this thing. It's like, how do you know when to stay? How do you know when to get out? Martina. Some days before I found a, a recording and it was on my mobile and this recording was um, um, an evening when I was still together with my husband, Axel. We were living together and it was a ordinary talk. It is about 18 minutes and I, this, the crazy thing is I didn't know that I have that. It must have been something switched on my mobile and I found it some days before. And the interesting thing is that when I was listening to that, and some, some weeks, I have to say that some weeks later, about uh, seven or eight weeks later, this relationship was gone and he and he left me or he we we stopped and at this point when this recorded was made i i the crazy thing is that i hear and i hear words are how And I see that there would have been some doors, two or three doors that we would have been able to, to walk through, but we did the crazy day is do it. It was like we were uh, uh, going on uh, on the ice and we and we um we we didn't want to to, to go deeper and if there was something in me that decided I don't want to act with him and there was something in me that decided to, to go on on that ice and um, when I hear that now I think I, I was in some way I was conscious because I knew what's going on and I I had fear but I didn't recognize that 
<laughs> but I was conscious and I was not because I was not able to make a decision because I was not, I didn't change something. Yeah, and that was, yeah. Wow, thank you. I hope you understood what I wanted to say because it's somewhat complicated. Yeah. What amazing thing to capture that conversation. Yeah, and I, I want to write an article about that. Cool. Yes. Thank you. Okay, just want to see if there's anybody else cooking something and then I want to hear from Clay again. Somebody else have anything? Yeah, I'm Ramona. Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm with a really heavy um, weight on my chest right now, which actually came quite... Um, uh, surprisingly, because it's it's a very old story for me that came up, um, which was is was from a relationship that I was in like two years ago or maybe three, and it's so incredibly crazy to realize um, or to see again that. I didn't leave this relationship for such a long time because I had the belief that um, that life wouldn't offer me anything that non-linear like I was experiencing there. <laughs> I really had to be, I, I was convinced about it and actually we both had that fear. We both had that um, even um, spoken that for him it was more I wouldn't find a woman that would be as conscious as you are and be able to to do the work um, that we do together and I was like okay I, I would just end up again in a boring life and it's 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 crazy how long that actually kept me in a space where I was absolutely not free and um, and later on, I had another another um, it was a work relationship where I experienced or I saw the same pattern again. And I'm so glad that I didn't um, that I wasn't believing in that in that um, story anymore, because the first one was painful enough to 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 understand that it's just a complete bullshit. So, but yeah, it's, um, it's moving me still. It's moving me still because um, I, I just wasn't true to myself for a really long time. And it's making me really sad. And it's making me, yeah, like super flattery inside. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Clay, you still got that hot potato? Uh, yeah, I have, I have something. Um, you know, I was just, it, it kind of came up again around, like when Naomi shared, it's like the minute that we have a formula, whether the formula is to stay or the formula is to go, whether the formula is I'm self-responsible or the formula is the universe brings me what I need. 
they're all these these um, uh, like th th basically anything at all, even the most profound thing, can become this way that we get off the teeter and flip over. And um, and I guess I'm I guess I'm I'm asking myself what what is that because i think like you mentioned clinton there's like amongst us there there we're, we all must have know that that there's a what i'd say like a palpability to something which is alive which is neither of the concepts but it's a very it's a much more in a way dangerous or scary space to be in to say like somebody presents something and your formula says, no, I don't accept that. I, I push away that or I, um, you know, and, and rely on a different type of knowing, a totally different type that's not predictable. And it's like, I just, all I know is for myself, it's still, I'm still figuring that out. I, because it's like, it's about trust, trusting something deeply and yet also mistrusting a lot of the other instincts and being able to sort through and, and know the difference. And I guess that's what I'm thinking about. Thank you. I think it, I wanna read this next paragraph because it's somehow connected. It, and it's a complicated paragraph, it's just a mess, but I want to start at the bottom of the paragraph and it says, well, the, the idea in the paragraph is in the moment we commit to being the source of love in our life or the source of love in someone else's life, or if we're really quote unquote insane, the source of love in life itself, even though we do not know how, life becomes simultaneously horrifying and exhilarating. And this is this edge thing that I was trying to talk about, the horrifying, scary, and exhilarating, exciting, this invention moment, the most fulfilled endeavors. And you know, we might think we know already what this means, but we can also consider the possibility that we do not know what it means. Consider the possibility that we do not even know that we do not know what this means. Because this idea of sourcing love is not a new age philosophy. It is, it, is a, it is a procedure for consciousness expansion. Like being, being at that gradient at that moment where, where love is happening, is this, is this is aliveness, this love is this aliveness. There's a big difference between um, just a philosophical concept or con the actual experience of consciousness expansion. So um, the proposal that being on the edge is the moment where matrix is building and consciousness is expanding is uh, a, a different way to look at trying to fall in love or trying to be in love or trying to create love happening or trying to create the possibility of a space where love is happening that um that's this edge thing 
And we have become experts in avoiding possibilities. We've been experts in avoiding those kind of possibilities. You can prove this for yourself with the following experiment. If you really want to be loving in any situation, find out who stops you. That's the experiment. If you, if you, if you want to be loving in a situation, figure out who stops you, actually. So we have about 10 more minutes and I would, I would still like to hear from a couple of you who haven't spoken yet because this stuff is really hot and juicy. And when we talk about it, you get, you get, I think you get a better sense of how much you have to give in an article if you, to write an, an article about this and share this with other people. I really am convinced that you guys are edge workers in this area and it's the it's a responsibility it's a side effect a consequence of being an edge worker is to to share the treasure that you find not so many people have the courage or the fortitude to be edge workers to to endure to like endure the conscious the consciousness the painful consciousness the the consciousness of the pain to endure that like you have to have some really some inner strength and um, uh, just endurance. You have to have some kind of endurance to do this research, this, this stuff, and you guys have that. So if, and, and a part of the consequences, you learn, you learn these things. You have these experiences, these insights, these clarity from the, just over the edge on this teetering place. You know, that when these moments happen, when it's in, when the bottom is dissolving out, like if you could please try to document that and write that. And if, and if like Annie, you just came back on, I'm sure you have something to say. Go ahead. Well, I, I feel like I've always been, uh, yeah, the, the edge worker uh, description feels comforting to me because I've always felt like I've been out of step. And then I guess that I have, in some years time becomes commonplace. But still, by that time I've moved and I'm feeling still out of step. Yeah, in a way, what if you, what if you document the out of stepness? Because like in this it's it's either fast, people you know overwork or jog 10 kilometers or drink or smoke or whatever to to put that away and if you don't do that it's so alchemical somebody was saying it's just really the alchemical moment and if you can write about the alchemical moment of the of of that um and sort of capture it i this will be gateways for people yeah yeah horatio yeah you, yeah I'm setting up a studio for for video, making videos and cool. and showing maps. Thank you. Cool. Yep. Be sure to share that with us. All right. All right, Leslie. Yes. Hand up, Leslie. Uh, yeah. 
so I've had a lot of um, focus on the impact, my wanting to take responsibility for my impact on other people. And um, there's a way that I'm afraid it makes it more about me, you know, that it, it kind of, uh, I don't know if that's, if it's being a rescuer, but uh, like in my emotional healing work recently, the idea of um, the fact that being connected is more important to me than being right or wrong or getting other people to be right or wrong, you know, like, so somehow it feels important to say to people, okay, I just did a right, wrong thing with you. I'm working on that issue. Will you tell me the impact? And I will hear it and just say it back. Like, that's what I'm, I'm wondering about for an article. I have a, I have something to start with. Yeah, great. Thank you. Does it seem like it's okay? Yeah. Great. Yeah, because the box, you know, our psychology, I mean, that's, that's the next section. I just saw that is called the box. Finally, we get to talk about this. But it's, it's like, this is this right, wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, survival uh, um, motivation that's really behind so much in our lives. So it's exactly that right, wrong thing. So it, it makes sense to, I mean, I guess people can say, no, I'm not talking to you about the impact. You already pissed me off and I've. You know, if I tell you, then you'll just make it worse or whatever. And, and that can be, I can learn from that also. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Horatio, I was knocking on your door. You, anything from over there? Uh, sure. Um, speaking to this subject. I guess I would have to go back to my marriage. I, uh, I married young, way too young in retrospect. Um, and I'm not sure what, what love was there. I think it was more a respect, mutual respect. And um, we took the commitment seriously uh, we were, uh, we were in many ways, um, quite, uh, you know, we, we, we resonated with each other in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, we delivered our children at home without a, uh, a midwife, but she was on call. So, you know, we took life seriously in that sense. Um, and I think we really tried. However, I, I look back at it and I was too young. We, we were both too young. And we, I think, 
are we were trying to stay and hold together through willpower mm. and um eventually that just cannot it's not strong enough to hold it over long term so what i think that i have learned from that is is the reflections of the mistakes that i see that i've that i brought into it the um the things that i missed completely and um and to not to realize that it was it was a joint effort that we were just too young and just too we weren't ready for it i think in other in another time another place it, it possibly could have been something quite different um so that's that's i guess my story along these lines thank you could everybody please take a deep breath and just help us hold this door open for for us to deepen inside of us and investigate further especially with the article projects i'm really i feel excited about the articles and the and the sharing of the treasures even the dark treasures or the clouded treasures you know the things that are the painful insights or the the mistakes you might want to call them mistakes where you learned and what you learned from it in these, especially this choice point moment where the bottom just falls out, where the illusion pops, and how could it, how could it be both ways at the same time? There's so much there. I need to take off and end the call. Is there any, any, we have about 30 seconds left. If somebody like Ronan or somebody from the out, Outlands has something to say. I'm here just regards from Israel. I'm first time here and uh, I'm very happy to be here and I hope that uh, later when I'll feel connected so I'll be able also to connect my stories and thank you very much for the sharing you did. Thank you. Thanks for being there. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Right on. Right on. And um, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.